Hello and welcome to Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the shadowy realms of the unexplained, the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your host? I'm Marianne. And I would like to welcome you to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, today, whatever time it is, wherever you are living in this beautiful world of ours. So sit back, relax, and let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and discover what awaits us there. In the first part of Music of the Plants, my guest Gary Cook answered a question a member of my Walk in the Shadowlands Facebook group had for him about the Patuparehe, New Zealand fairy folk, from his previous appearance on the podcast. Then he took us on a gentle stroll, talking about the wonderful world of the plants and trees around us. He talked about tree blindness, what that is, and how the term came about. The New York Times also published a great article on tree blindness that I have a link to on the podcast website www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. He talked about tree energies and how they work together to both support each other and humanity as a whole. We also had snippets of beautiful and sort of haunting music, a tangelo tree and a poinamu, or New Zealand greenstone created. Yes. You heard that correctly, that they created. Gary has a special instrument which he uses to capture the music of the trees, plants and the poanamu. In this episode we'll go into more detail about what the music of the plants is, how it is collected and created and how this all actually began. Are you ready? Let's continue our walk into this part of the Shadowlands. To begin with, for those of you who are joining this episode, not having listened to the previous one or having heard of Gary Cook, let me give you a brief background on my delightful guest. Gary is regarded by some as a bit of a controversial figure, not least because of his views on how New Zealand was settled prior to the arrival of the Māori in their great waka or canoes. An internationally known author, speaker and documentary maker, Gary Cook is a leading writer on the special nature of the mystic realms that are to be found in New Zealand. He has devoted many years of searching and writing of the wonders to be found within the islands of New Zealand and the South Pacific. For many years, Gary Cook was a regular contributor to a now-defunct New Zealand magazine called Rainbow News, which was a spiritual sort of New Age-type magazine. Gary is a very deeply spiritual man, both in touch with himself and with all aspects of nature around us, and it is on the subject of nature that this show will continue to delve into today. His extensive journeys and experiences allow him to share much of the deeper nature of the forest, the waters and the mountains that allows us all to connect with the natural order in a deeper and more meaningful way. He is the author of three books in the Secret Land series and others. Gary is a regular contributor, 
to Australian and New Zealand magazines, offering readers unique glimpses of the sacred landscape of Aotearoa, or New Zealand. He is a regularly requested speaker at conferences both here in New Zealand and overseas. He has also created a number of documentaries and DVD recording the songs of the trees, plants and Poanamu or Greenstone. And it is with these latter that we will be touching on today. His website is called The Secret Land, Sacred Sites and Ancient Mysteries and can be found at www.secretland.co.nz. That beautifully haunting piece of music is actually a recording that Gary made and uploaded to his Facebook page on the 4th of August. It is the song of a Poinamu stone, created using an electronic device called the MIDI sprout, but the music that is created is entirely created by the Poinamu itself. Poinamu as it's known, is a New Zealand greenstone and it's considered a toonga or a treasure by the Māori, found only in the southwest of the South Island of New Zealand and is known as the peace stone. Poinamu has a calming effect on people and for many of you who listened to that piece, you will actually be able to feel the peace energies that resonate from the stone, from the Poinamu. I actually really love the haunting the haunting melodies that the stone creates it resonates deeply within myself and I know it will affect different people differently but I absolutely love it the Poinamu uh, as a stone is said to have a calming effect on people and it has a great spiritual significance to the New Zealand Maori people So without further ado, let's continue our conversation with Gary Cook.
it's interesting. You can talk to trees, and I know a lot of people who go into forest areas and things like this, and um, they have a favourite tree, or in a park they have a fa uh, a favourite tree they like to talk to. And um, so, even everyday life and the rules and regulations intrude when you live in a remote rural area. Right. No matter what we might be, there's a term, as I said before, which has been coined by scientists, and it's called plant neurobiology. And this just shows how trees are just like humans, which is interesting. And some ecologists say that um, trees talk to each other. Mm. Language we can learn. Um, scientists have discovered that trees have a heartbeat. Mm. Come up with the most incredible thing that plants can even see and they can make out human forms and make out colors so that's incredible so we've got you know plant intelligence to think about now which which is fascinating this opens up all sorts of possibilities for thinking people like the people that uh, are with you and following your your posts and, and yourself the fact that you know we're thinking people and we can actually go through this all the things I'm talking about, all the information I'm sharing is freely accessible by Googling it up. Mm -hmm. Although there's so many excellent um, short films that have been put up by various scientists onto um, uh, YouTube, and so there's a lot of things available there. Right. Right. So um, so we've got the wisdom of trees and the ways of nature, um, and plants talk to each other. This is fascinating. Plants and trees talk to each other. Now, if I'd ever thought about this before, Marianne, I, I would have thought that walking in the forest, that the trees, branches, and uh, the canopy would touch. And also, if I thought a bit deeper, I'd say that the roots of the trees must have touched each other. And perhaps that's how they communicated, if I thought of tree communication. Mm. But no, no, no. There's another way that trees communicate which was so exciting to discover. And it is so amazing, they're calling it the Wood Wide Web. The Wood Wide Web, WWW, how trees keep in touch with each other. Because if we uh, had a nice, powerful magnifying glass, we went out in the garden where plants are growing, we're into the forest, put the spade down and just cut a little uh, cutting and look closely, you'd see little, little fine white filaments finer than the hair on your head, which is the um, fungus, which is which grows under the ground, the mycelium. Now, this mycelium uh, has a symbiotic relationship with trees. So the fungus needs um, to be fed, and it feeds on the plant sugars. Now, the plant sugars, of course, as we may or may not know, is when the plants go through photosynthesis and they bring in the carbons, they're converting the carbons into a plant sugar, which is plant food. The byproduct of what they're doing is oxygen, which they expel, but the plant sugars they keep. This is miraculous when you think about it. It's amazing. Now, the fungus also feeds on the plant sugar, which, of course, the plant allows, because the symbiotic relationship is this deep, that the mycelium can then advise the plant where there is a little more moisture at a distance, where the plant can actually put its roots towards and reach more moisture. 
there are minerals in a certain area locked up in clay or soil, which the mycelium knows the plant requires, and it'll direct the plant where to go to get the extra nutrition. So you've got water and uh, your moisture, and you've got uh, mineral nutrition. But the mycelium also hooks the plants together. It allows them to connect with each other. And in a mixed forest area, like I have here at home, where I have what I call my recording studio, which is a, a nice glade down by the river. Right. There it's all native trees. And I've got uh, a number, a great number of native trees growing there. And they grow in a community. They cooperate with each other. They uh, exist alongside each other. And they live uh, in harmony with each other. There's maybe some which are a little more aggressive with the way they grow and they'll sort of go shoot up and try and get all the, the best sunlight and, say, the best nourishment. But overall, and in the New Zealand native forest, um, when we look at Kauri and, and Rimu and Tolpa, Iro and all these trees that we know in Karaka, the um, Tanikaha is the one tree in the forest in New Zealand, and it's uh, right throughout the New Zealand forest, called the Salri pine or the Tanikaha. This particular tree acts as the um, coordinator in the forest. Interesting. Amongst other trees. So it allows trees to actually exist alongside each other and get on with each other. Humans have a lot to learn from mixed forests because nowadays the thing which seems to rear its, its ugly head around the world is how do we live with uh, so many people from other races living alongside us? How do we do this? How do we cohabit? Well, we can certainly learn from nature. We can certainly learn from natural forests how they cohabit, how they get on. And this is, of course, a thing that shamans um, have known for years and years, and uh, they, they know what goes on in the forest. They know the fact there's cooperation, and they know the fact that um, the plants and trees communicate with each other. So that's interesting. So there we have the wood wide web which connects the trees. Now, this woodwind web, when I look at uh, our forest out here, it's right through the whole forest. Right. Every single tree is connected to each other. And often when I walk into a new forest on a bit of a ramble somewhere when we're driving around or on a holiday, I always stop at the entrance um, to a new area and I talk to a tree, which I select, you know, just look at it and say, well, that's a nice tree that um, might listen to me. I introduce myself to the tree and I say why I've come here and uh, who I am and what my purpose is, you know, why I've come. And then I just give the tree a little time to um, digest this because when we talk to trees or ask them questions, we can never expect a very quick answer because trees slowly answer. If we can remember the ant trees in The Lord of the Rings, how they had decisions to make, and it took them forever to make the decision of what they're going to do. So likewise, trees in the forest take their time. And so often, Marianne, an answer will come, and an acknowledgement will come in some form or another, and you'll know that. So when I've spoken to a tree at the beginning of the forest going into this area, I know that as I walk through the forest past other trees and other species, they already know me. And this has gone through the mycelium, through the fungus, through the wood wide web, which is wonderful. And I feel that 
are being welcomed. It's a bit like going on to a, a marae in the Māori terms, okay? You are welcomed onto the marae and you are made welcome, you're made to feel at home. Right. And But you never walk onto marae without being invited and you stand at the gate and you wait until the pōwhiri is done, if that's um, what is happening, and you're invited on to their land. And so it's much the same in the forest. You just wait and you pause and you make yourself known and you know when it's time to walk in the forest. So I find that quite something to do and I think this can happen any forest anywhere in the world. I know a lot of your listeners and followers, you know, live in other parts of the uh, of the world. Interesting too, I'd like to insert something here. I mean, this is a bit of a ramble, so you have to keep an eye on the time. It's okay, Gary. There's no time limit. Once you get me going on plants, we'll go on forever. Right. Talking about, I mean, there's a forgotten science of uh, shamanic plant whispering, and that goes with talking to plants. And talking to plants, house plants inside, vegetable plants in the garden. Whenever I go into the garden to take plants for, for the table, I always thank them. Mm. At least I try and balance out what I'm doing because I'm picking a plant. And um, it's uh, if I'm taking it out by the roots, that's the end of that life cycle of that particular plant, so I'm well aware of that. Also, there's a lot of things now. Let's get back to walking the forest and immersing yourself in nature, and as you've said, how you know and how you can imbibe of it. I know a lot of people that listen to your chats and your postings will understand this, and there is a, a term which came out of Japan many, many years ago, and it's called forest bathing. And it's something now which people have set up in North America and uh, parts of Europe, and they talk about it and they train people in forest bathing. Forest bathing quite literally means just to walk in the forest and be with the forest and merge with the forest and vibe of what the forest has to offer. Because as we were saying earlier on, walking amongst pine trees, you're aware of, of the, um, the smells coming through the air and you're taking in... Through your, through your nose and you're breathing into your body through your air. And you're breathing things which are going to spark things within your brain which will help you to relax. So it's so relaxing and so therapeutic to walk in forests. So it was probably about 30, 40 years ago that the government of the day in Japan made a decree that everybody had to do forest bathing as a literal translation of their Japanese term as often as they could for their well-being. Mm. Now this has been picked up all around the world. So there's now such thing as forest therapy. Doctors in parts of the world are now saying to their patients, for goodness sake, I'm not going to put you on antidepressants, go and walk in the park. So there's so much to be had by being in nature in this sense, which is just wonderful. Mm. So immersion in, in nature makes us feel better makes us able to cope better. And uh, also another thing uh, about antidepressants, science has done some testing, and they say that gardeners, people who are out in the garden often, soiled by um, working in the soil in the garden, they have no need for antidepressants because there are small microbes in the soil which they assimilate through their hands. They're taken in through the pores in the skin and these have a sulfuric and a levelling and balancing effect. And so gardeners um, should never have any need for um, antidepressants. 
which they would just get these natural microbes out of the soil. Isn't that intriguing? That's fascinating. Now, trees talk to each other, and I said before, and recognise, they recognise the offspring. There was testing done from the University uh, of Victoria in Vancouver in Canada. A lady scientist there for many, many years has been studying the community of trees and how they react with each other. And they look at uh, the Douglas fir and, of course, the, um, oh, gosh, the other tree just eludes me at the moment. What is it? It's a, anyhow, let's just have a quick look at it. The Douglas fir, yeah, yeah. Douglas fir tree in this particular case. Now, they have areas uh, in the Douglas fir forest there where they study groups of trees. They monitor them continuously, measuring them and doing all sorts of things, taking leaf samples and measuring what they're feeding on and how they're getting along. And in their control areas in the forest, they have massive, mature mother trees which have dropped the seeds, and there are little seedlings growing. So they monitor the seedlings. And sometimes when they're there in the forest at this particular time, uh, they might notice that some seedlings are not doing too well. Others are flourishing, and some are not doing too well at all. So they'll note that, for observations. And when they go back again in the month or six weeks' time back into the forest area, taking note of what's gone on, measuring rainfall in the area and keeping an eye on sunshine hours, really monitoring things very, very closely. They sometimes would find that the little seedling that was suffering and stunted has suddenly reinvigorated and got a new lease of life and is standing tall and straight and a lot more green on its leaf tips rather than sort of going slightly yellow. And they said, well, how's this possible? We don't feed the trees. The trees are all created equal, and some seedlings, most seedlings flourish, and some don't. What goes on? Is it possible then that the mother tree may have an influence on the seedlings? So they started to do some tests on how they did this. In this particular case, they um, surrounded the mother tree uh, in a cocoon of plastic all around the trunk and sealed it off. And then they did the same to a couple of seedlings which weren't doing too well at all. And they thought, well, and they did it also to some healthy seedlings. So they had a number of seedlings wrapped in a cocoon of plastic to keep out any other outside influence. Then they put in a gaseous substance uh, injected through the membrane of the plastic. So the engulfed in this gas, this gaseous substance, Substance which would then taken through through the bark and through the the uh, roots, and it was a had radioactive traces in it. Oh, interesting. Much the same as uh, they do this with humans, um, mm. uh, tracing things inside with barium, neon, mm, mm. what have you. And so they left this, and they came back um, whenever later to check things out looked at the seedlings they had enclosed and wrapped in um, plastic. They were all doing very well. One or two seedlings that were not doing too well were a lot healthier. So then they got out their Geiger counter, the equivalent of the Geiger counter, and went from the mother tree walking across the forest floor to the trees, the little seedlings which were now thriving and had not been, and right across they trace the radioactive feed right through the mycelium, right up into the trunk and the leaves of the little tree. And this then proved to them that the mother trees 
will look after their offspring and nurture them. And isn't that amazing? Wow. That's really awesome. That is really awesome. That is that is just incredible. Mm. Here we just have one particular thing here where um so this is a big thing I'm talking about. I, I could go on for a long, long time, as I said. Now, I often have groups of people come and visit on our land. And over the years, I've become interested, um, as you can see and hear, in the deeper nature of trees and uh, what scientists are doing. Or well, incidentally, I, I might just add something here. When I said before, some scientists are saying that uh, they believe that plants can make out color and make out shapes. And they were doing research on how plants take in the sunlight for photosynthesis. They know that they receive the sunlight through the leaves. But in studying the leaves, they found out that the leaves are just a myriad of small lenses, shaped lenses, like a hexagonal shape. Then they studied the branches and found that the branches and even the trunks also had these little lenses on. So the whole tree was taken sunlight, more so through the leaves. But the thing which intrigued them was the fact that the lens on the leaves of the trees is the identical shape of the lens in the human eye. Wow. Now they're researching even further. They've published their first paper that they believe trees can actually see and trees can react to things in their, in their environment which is amazing. Wow. So watch the space, what's going on there. I mean, now we'll just have to behave ourselves uh, when we're walking out in the garden and uh, <laughs> don't do anything which is going to upset the trees. But they've also, too, uh, Marianne, discovered that trees uh, actually go to sleep at nights, and this is something that we wouldn't be aware of. No. I'm aware of it with uh, pot plants inside when dark comes, but I never knew the trees, and so they've done this with um, time-lapse photography and infrared photography at night in the forests, and they find that all the forest trees and all the trees in your garden, the leaves will droop up to 8 to 10 centimetres. All the branches will hang down. Wow. Something that you and I wouldn't see, you know what I mean, unless we went out and measure. And so they go down, okay, and droop down at night. Then just before sunrise when the sky is starting to lighten, the branches start to rise up again and come up to full extent, ready for the sunlight and the photosynthesis that they need. Oh, that's absolutely fascinating. That is, that is absolutely fascinating. Mm. So, you know, we, we can't uh, underestimate what's going on out there. Also, something else too uncertain here, which I think some people are going to find intriguing. Some scientists have just published a um, I, can't quote these verbatim, but these uh, papers have all been published and all available if people search through Google. Some scientists have published their first paper on research into human blood and human blood cells. They discovered that um, the human blood cell, and the, which uh, is a certain shape and a certain type of construction, has a nucleus of iron. Okay, because we all know we have iron in our blood. Okay. Then when they looked at the plant cells and looking at a plant cell, they found that they have an identical shape in the, in the cell inside the plant, but it has a, a green 
oh gosh, what do you call it here? My memory is going. I'm so excited here. So, oh, what do we call the green which uh, we get in our in our food? Oh, uh, chlorophyll. Chlorophyll, of course it is. So, they have a chlorophyll cell, and so now they have taken their testing. The fact that if you are uh, a vegetable eater and eat lots of green leafed or take spirulina and things like this, and you've got a high intake of chlorophyll-based foods into your system, these go into your blood, circulate alongside your other blood cells, and they're saying that it is quite possible that humans can actually take photosynthesized sunlight into the system to give them sustenance. Now, that is a big thing which is way out there. I have heard of and read somewhere about a group of people who claim that they eat no physical food but get their sustenance solely from the sunlight. What are they called? I think they're called breatharians or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. That's that's amazing. I mean, watch the space. Where is this going to go? Is this going to be proven? And I find that quite, quite intriguing. It just goes to show that then the the mammals or the human the human system, which uh, was designed, of course, to handle plant matter in a big way, mm. has probably always had that ability to actually process sunlight. Mm. Well, of course, the body does process sunlight to create vitamin D, which is very important to keep our bodies functioning at optimum levels. We're warned not to go out in the sun, we're going to get burnt. Right. We coat ourselves with all sorts of creams, which are, are not very, very good for our system. And so on, on we go. When I bring people here uh, as a group, and I often have groups come to visit, I talk to them about plants and, and things as I've discussed with you. And I also take them out into the uh, land here and I do a little dowsing with them, which is holding a couple of rods, uh, little wire shapes to be holding your hand. And they're known for dowsing for water and things like this, but you can douse for energy. And I think to give people um, a good example of the energetic beings that plants are, I just teach them the basics of dowsing. And they've got a number of big standing trees in the lawn area around the house. And they walk towards the tree and I tell them what's going to happen. And when they get so far out from the tree, it varies from person to person. Suddenly the little rods are handling will jump around and wriggle around and I say there we are you've just reached the limit of the field around that tree wow now you've got the trees are just not the beautiful thing you see standing there I'd already explained them what goes on beneath the ground and what goes on with the leaves and things and now you're looking at the energy field such as all humans have so do trees and I think Marianne this is also important as you said before when you go into a forest mm-hmm. and how you feel you're standing also in the energy field of those trees and we also know if we've done in the referential reading that standing in the energy field of animals and other humans uh, can be quite beneficial or sometimes just a bit um, a bit strange but so then I introduce people to music of the plants and I'll go to a little tree on the edge of the forest up by the house where they can sit on the grass in one particular case, I have one particular tree that I connect to with a device I'll explain to you in a moment. And this is a kawakawa tree. And we all in New Zealand know the kawakawa. It's an amazing healing tree, very, very beneficial to humans 
a lot of topical uh, application, also internal application, and also makes a very nice tea. Mm. I personally love a good cup of kawakawa tea, generally from leaves I've harvested myself. And in fact, early colonisers in New Zealand used to keep branches of kawakawa leaves by their stove fires so they could throw a few leaves into a pot of boiling water for a hot drink. To me, it's much better than the gumboot tea, the regular tea you purchase from the supermarket. Some uh, boutique brewery a few years ago was brewing up a beer which was made with kawakawa as well, so there we are. You can have a tipple and, and increase your well-being. Oh, wow. Beer made with kawakawa. Hmm. And so what I have is a little box, a little device which was perfected by Rupertech Living Extended uh, Communal Village set up in northern Italy called Darmanhur. Darmanhur is something which you can Google up. And these technicians for 40 years have been working on a device in which they can put connections on the leaves or the trunk or any part of the tree, pick up what I what I term static electricity, which is generated in the tree, take it back through the contacts into this little computerized box and convert this to what we call a MIDI system, which allows sound, uh, all sorts of sounds to be converted into musical notes and converts into the musical notes. And therefore we have, a plant creating music. Now, this is a big one. So, now, how this comes about in the plant is, as I was saying earlier on, plants going through the photosynthesis and bringing down all the sunlight energy through the leaves, down the trunks, into the roots, and also they are bringing water up to feed. So there's a lot going on within the branches and the leaves and the trunks. There's a lot of movement. Trees are pumping. They have a heartbeat, mm. like a heart, and away they go. So this movement creates a little electrical field or response. And so what these contacts that I'm putting on the trees do is pick those up and convert them into music. So we now have tools in which we can give trees and plants a musical instrument to play, and this is what it is. These devices have a number of different settings. You can perhaps choose a, a type of in, instrument like a, a flute or a guitar or a piano or a hang drum or something like that and just get a, a sound, which is... Um, but when I send you through some music to share with you, you'll find that the plant does its own thing. Mm. But it's beautiful. And the music I will send to you has been put through the MIDI system and also through a synthesizer on my computer. Now, I'm not a musician. I'm just a, a plant person. And so I find that when I sit people down to listen to the kawakawa playing out here in the garden, they're enthralled. It just is amazing. And then we often go down to the forest where I plug into trees in the forest and also the ponga and the silver fern, things like that. Down the fairy glade, I have some lovely silver ferns which play what I call fairy music. It's um, rather wonderful and this opens up, once again, all sorts of possibilities. Right. Some people will say, well, you know, this is just like the... It's very similar to the old biofeedback machines. Mm -hmm. The research was founded, actually, on a book which was published in the, the uh, 60s. Um, I forget the name of that book. Mm. That'll come to me. Do plants have... Or do plants speak? Or something like that. This led to an American man in the 70s to start to experiment. And he worked for the, as a scientist for the FBI 
at this stage uh, in America, perfecting lie detection equipment to make it more uh, uh, sensitive to people's responses. Right. And it, ah, I know, the book was The Secret Life of Plant. <laughs> and um, he thought, well, they did experiments of saying how plants respond to various stimuli. So he was in his laboratory on this particular uh, weekend, and um, he thought, I'll experiment with one of my sensitive lie detection machines, hooked it up to a plant in the office there. And as you know, those machines, you might have seen them on television. Mm -hmm. There's a scrolling paper goes through, and there's lots of little needles and things go up and down and draw a graph. And they sort of are highlighted if you're telling the truth or not telling the truth. They're just measuring the response that the human body has. So I thought, well, this machine should be sensitive enough, sensitive enough to record the plant's response. So he sat there with the machine ticking over and connected to this plant, sending the plant good thoughts and love and things like this and trying to inject response. No. Then he started. He said, okay, well, I'll try uh, another stimulus. I'll try a bit of anger and a bit of fear. So he started to really chastise the plant and talk to it in quite a manner. Still no response. He thought, okay. He said, oh, no, I, I remember reading in the book, he said that um, the, their plants responded to strong light and, and heat. So he popped over where well, he was walking towards another desk in the office where one of his uh, fellow office workers or scientists had matches because he um, smoked. He said, I'm going to go. He said, I'll go and get a match. This is what he was thinking as he turned around. I'll go and get a match and I'll bring flame close to the leaf of the plant, see what happens. The thought was enough. Suddenly the machine came alive and started to go. All the little needles were going up and down and the response was so dramatic. He said, oh, my God. So this opened up an incredible world for Cleve Bexter is his name. He's got a wonderful thing up on YouTube also. And so here he was, a top scientist, and he set up special laboratories over the years just to measure uh, plant intelligence and plant response to stimuli and things of this nature. So there we have the machine, which I now use, called uh, Music of the Plants, was perfected based on the research that Cleve Baxter had done in America. So we have good technology, and there have been, since this machine became public, a number of other scientists and technicians, and particularly musicians, have been experimenting with building their own devices, which now they know how the system works. And so I've got, I think, four different machines here by different people, made by different people, and they all work along similar concepts but with slightly different outputs. But I can take any one of these machines, hook up to a tree in the forest, and they'll make music on them, which is amazing. Um, I'm actually experimenting now with uh, orchestration where mm -hmm. I'm trying to if I can get um, three to four plants uh, performing at the same time. It's interesting, too, because the more you work with a, singular, uh, a single plant with plant music, the more responsive they become. Now, at home here, I have uh, Sabella, our um, peace lady. I've been working with her for six years. Wow. According to and she travels with me. Whenever I go out, I give talks around the place. And she goes with me as a demonstration plant, sits with me, just sings beautifully while I'm talking to people about, about plants and then presenting plant music to them. And uh, she's just amazing. And I know 
some of the other plants I use on a regular basis in the forest, the response is just instantaneous. Wow. And also an interesting thing I've done, Marianne, because plants respond and plants know, they have a way of being aware of other sounds and sound waves. One of the most interesting things, I think, is something to uh, which has a bearing on this. Going back to the time that plants awaken in the morning from when they've been asleep, other scientists have revealed that the dawn song of the birds is so important to forest and tree growth. They react to the song of the birds. Now, isn't that interesting? That is very interesting. In forests which are devoid of any bird song at all, the trees are not as happy. Isn't that incredible? Mm, incredible. So, and we all respond to bird song, and either if we're hearing tui in the morning or bellbird, or even just a song thrush, it's beautiful. Mm. So trees respond now. My experiments have gone to where I have now experimented with um, human solo solo musicians, cello player, harp player, harmonica, and a violinist. And I've got some of these things up actually um, on YouTube so people can have a look at them and hear them. The latest one I did was with a delightful young Brazilian girl who lives in the Bay of Plenty, and she's an incredible violinist. We sat here on a wet Sunday afternoon in the lounge with Sabella the Peace Lily. And uh, we let Sabella start to sing, and she was singing beautifully. And then uh, Camilla started to play her violin. And then suddenly we were getting harmony. Wow. And for you listeners, here's a snippet of that session that Gary had with Sabella and Camilla. I have a link on my podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com, to the video that was taken of the session so you can see and hear the whole recording. harmonizing and this has happened before uh, with harp and it's happened also uh, with cello and it seems the string instruments there's a great response from the plants with the string instruments it must be the resonance must be i know in particular the cello which 
has such an incredibly mellow sound. And the first time I experimented with a musician was with a celloist, uh, Raul Piard, professional. We sat for just 20 minutes in the garden by a kawakawa, and he would play a few notes and stop. And kawakawa would sing a few notes and stop. He'd play a few more and take us through a few chords and stop. And then within 10 minutes, they were playing together. Wow. One, one would play and listen and listen to the other and follow. Now, to that point, there are a number of musicians uh, in America and Europe, uh, like I've mainly seen and heard of, who are now performing on stage with, uh, with plants playing. They'll have a single, a single plant on the stage, and they could be a jazz ensemble. They could be a, a progressive uh, jazz group or a music group. Uh, could be a rock group. Uh, could be rappers. And they're performing with plants singing on stage, which is incredible. Now, also something else which is interesting, Marianne, that uh, throughout Europe and in the UK, a number of uh, natural therapeutic clinics, which like to play, have always liked to play background music while they're working with their clients, uh, a lot of them in the uh, reception area, they have, you know, this ficus or some big plant growing there. They're now plugging in to their plant in the reception area and piping the music through to their treatment rooms. And so they're doing treatments with folk, with the plant music um, they're generating. Wow. It's a big, wide, interesting, promising world out there. And now with musicians and we're looking at sound therapists, of course. There's a lot of interest in sound therapy nowadays with all sorts of sound generated by a human voice, mm. by instruments which humans play or even by electronic sound. And so now there's a lot of experimenting going on with sounds from plants to see if the resonance can help in the healing process. So there we are. I must just about be spoken out now. I remember, awesome. I remember, Gary, the first time that we spoke on the phone before our first conversation for the podcast and how you had Sabella playing in the background. I remember as you were talking, thinking, oh, Gosh, that music's beautiful. I'm going to have to ask you what CD that's from because it was just so lovely and very relaxing. It totally underlies the fact that we are all interconnected, plants, animals, and humans. Yeah. Now, that's exactly right. And um, we are. We, we're totally connected with everything in the natural world. <clears throat> Hmm. And some people will say to me, oh, I've got to reconnect with nature. And I sort of say, well, hold on, you've never been disconnected. Hmm. You're connected entirely. And it's just um, that you've forgotten. It's a time to remember. Hmm. And this is what it's about. It's a time to remember who we are, why we are, where we are, how we are. Yeah. And that's probably a really good way to round off this conversation, actually. The whole purpose, I guess, of your work and your speaking to people is re-educating them. Well, not re-educating, actually, more reminding them, reminding them of things that our ancestors knew and that all the native shamans, medicine people, kohonga, throughout the world still know. That's exactly right. And the thing is, because our, Marianne, because our ancestors knew it, it's in our DNA, mm, mm. genetic uh, makeup. And this is why 
for some people, when they hear of these things or uh, experience them in some form or another, the light bulb goes on and sort of say, oh, I, can, I know that. Oh, I, I can believe that. Oh, that's wonderful. I always knew this, but I never knew it uh, was as profound or as widespread. So there is a big movement around the world. But the interesting thing, Marianne, too, is now the scientists are saying, the neurobiologists are saying, that in 20 to 25 years' time, we're going to have to recognize trees as sentient beings. Now, this is a big, big thing, because as you know, New Zealand was the first signatory of an international charter four years ago, recognizing animals as sentient beings to actually you know, give further protection to animals. And that is a hard thing to really push around the world, the way people treat animals. Yeah. So you can imagine how hard difficult it's going to be to say to people, well, now trees are sentient beings, you've got to have more respect for them. You just to go and chop them down willy-nilly. Speak to them at least before you chop them down and put something in place. Interesting too, because in the Maori tradition in New Zealand, when a tree was ever taken from the forest so, um, uh, for carving uh, a meeting house uh, or a, a waka hull, when the tohunga selected the tree to be felled, the tree was uh, then the katakia was done. Then the tree was chopped down and the log was trimmed and, and taken away. But they had a stump which was sometimes um, up to three or four foot uh, off the ground because the way they fell trees, they fell them up very high. They would actually hollow out the centre of the stump and fill it up with soil from the forest, and then put a seedling in there of the same species they'd just taken. Wow. I didn't know that. Giving some perpetuity. You see what I mean? Yeah. So there we are. Well, that's awesome. Gary, thank you so much for your time, as always. It's been an absolutely fascinating and really interesting conversation, and I really appreciate your time immensely. Well, I I appreciate you um, inviting me to share. As I said, it's always a bit of a ramble when I start to chat, but um, there we are. But, you know, that's what makes it so delightful, Gary. It's been really wonderful, and I absolutely appreciate it. Um, No, beautifully edited, well put together with music and things. I love what you're doing. It's all about sharing, educating, and helping people find their path, and entertaining as well, isn't it? That's what it's about. Yeah, you're quite right. Thank you so much, Gary, and I feel very sure that we'll speak again sometime in the future. Okay, love. All the very best to you. Bye-bye. So, that concludes our two episodes on Music of the Plants. I am very grateful to Gary for his time and energy spent discussing these subjects with us all. I hope that you all have enjoyed listening to both of these episodes and that there are things that have been discussed that make you stop and think and question. It's always good to question things and to learn new things. Learning never stops for us no matter what our age. I especially enjoy the way that Gary imparts his many years of experience with us all so freely. So thank you again, Gary. I always, always learn something new from you whenever we talk. And to all you listeners, I apologise for the audio quality in both of these episodes. Gary and I were having 
connection difficulties that created all sorts of weird sounds in the recording. So I've edited it as best I could, but I I do understand that there are uh, a few issues that I was unable to iron out in the editing, so I apologise for that. The music at the very beginning of the episode was from the latest Poenamu recording uploaded to Gary's Facebook page on the 4th of August 2019. You can see the video and listen to the full recording which goes for around 5 minutes. I have a link on my website page for this recording from his Facebook page. Just to let you all know, next week's episode is the last episode in this, our first series with the Walking the Shadowlands podcast. And honestly, I just need a little bit of a break so I can catch a breather and create more interesting and exciting content for you all to listen to. So I will have a break of two weeks after next week's podcast but of course all the old episodes remain online that you can re-listen to if you choose to if any of you have any questions or any comments that you'd like to make questions you might like to ask gary or experiences that you might like to share with myself and my audience then please don't hesitate to email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com Or, if you're a member of Anchor at anchor.fm, then you can leave me a voice message via their platform, which I could include in an upcoming episode. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a positive rating and a written review on your chosen podcasting platform. Who knows? You may hear your review read out at the end of one of these podcasts. And of course, so you don't miss out on our next episode, make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms and soon to be available from iHeartRadio as well. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the website www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there is a full written transcript of each episode on the website so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more the merrier. Also, please consider supporting this show on patreon.com. You can check out the link on our website. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name and our Twitter feed at Shadowlands10. Like and follow for hints on our upcoming episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Tonight, today, wherever you are in this beautiful world of ours, we'll see you this time next week. Thanks for listening. 